Hi, I'm Johan Martinez Kalilian. As an executive coach, I time travel with people. I help people create their future from their future. One of our guiding principles as coaches is how future-based language transforms the way the world occurs to us. In other words, the way you speak about tomorrow shifts the way you look at the world today. It also shifts how you interact with that world. Join me as we write a letter from the future with love. Basketball saved my life. As a kid, basketball was everything to me. I mean, it kept me out of mischief. It taught me discipline and teamwork. It saved my life, and I I mean that sincerely. When I was 13, a cobra walked up to me and asked, yo, you want to be a cobra? Now, (laughs) as you hear that, no, a reptile didn't walk up to me asking if I wanted to transform into a different species. Although that life would be interesting, I mean, it would give sliding into the DMs a whole new meaning, right? The Cobras were a gang in my neighborhood. They were the gang, actually, in my neighborhood. Their hats were cocked to the right, and they rocked black and green clothes. That was a big thing in Chicago. Like, if you rocked your hat to the right, you're part of a certain section of gangs. If you rocked your hat to the left, you're part of a certain section of gangs. So the Cobras were the, the right hat rockers. Hold on a second. Cobras, right? It just hit me. These dudes were slithering like even before Harry Potter became popular. Knowing what I know now, I should have hit him with that Wingardium Leviosa. Instead, my quick reply to his invitation was, nah, I just, I just want to hoop. And this moment wasn't like an after-school special. He didn't say, join us or you're dead. Right? He didn't say, well, I'm going to bully you until you, you join us. So all he did was he looked at me and he said, word, keep doing your thing, kid. We got your back. Basketball was literally everything to me. It, it saved my life. And I'm not the only one. In this episode, I had the pleasure of talking with someone who feels the same way. His name is Pat Chambers. He's the former men's basketball coach at Penn State University. When Pat and I met, he was unsure about his future in basketball. On today's episode, we talk about his ascent to top-tier Big Ten coach, his descent from glory, and his vision to resurrect his dream of being an NCAA men's basketball coach again. I hope you guys enjoy. How'd you fall in love with the game? Because, you know, obviously we both share that love for basketball. Um, You know, it was instrumental for me growing up. But for you, like, what did it? How'd you fall in love with the game? You know, I'm the youngest, and I don't know if you remember this, I'm the youngest of 12, nine boys, three girls. It was either get chewed up and spit out or, or get out in the driveway and mix it up and fend for your life. That competitive spirit, that's my weakness and my strength, obviously was, was, born, was born at a very early age. So playing multiple sports, and lacrosse wasn't big then, right? So it was like football, basketball, baseball, maybe, but... You know, you, you fell in love with those sports. And I just migrated to, to basketball, loved everything about it. I loved the fact that I could shovel my, my driveway and go out and shoot in 20-degree weather, which I don't know if kids do anymore, which is sad <laughs> to me because there was no better feeling than go to a park or go to your driveway, having to work a little bit to get the uh, clear the court and, and, and shoot some hoops or even mm-hmm. play one-on-one with your brother who was just a little bit older than me who actually played for Fran Dunphy at Penn. 
I, I think that's where the seed was planted early in my life. And then it just grew rapidly. You know what? You know what was important? I had great coaches. One mm. fifth and sixth grade, seventh and eighth grade, I had the same coach. He followed me through. He was a phenomenal teacher of the game of the fundamentals. He really planted the seed. My high school coach, Dan Doherty, a legendary uh, question is, who's the coach at West Point between Bobby Knight and Coach K? Dan Doherty, West Point mm. guy. He was my high school coach. I was so blessed to have those, those, that type of coaching. And he gave me the discipline, uh, what you needed to do, taking care of the ball, all the little things that you needed to do to be successful on the high school level. And then I go to college. I got this guy named Herb McGee who's a Hall of Famer. They call him the shot wow. doctor. He's worked with Charles Barkley and all great NBA players and just a phenomenal guy. He's still coaching. This is his last year, actually. So I think I was, I think it originated. Where did it start? The seeds planted yeah. with my family in the driveway. And then it just grew like an inferno with the great coaching I had. I was blessed. Because, you know, Johan, you know this. You get a bad coach. All right. You get a bad teacher. Yeah. Guess what? You don't like that subject. You get, you get a bad boss. You want to get out of that company. Yeah, so you were but blessed with really high-level coaches. I was so, I'm so grateful for those men. And I tell them all the time, and, and women for that matter, I tell them all the time how grateful I am because I wouldn't be in the position if it wasn't for all, all those people who touched my life. And was it because of them that you wanted to become a coach? Like, what was it that sparked your desire to become a coach eventually? So eventually you become a coach because there's a void in your life, right? There's a void. So I leave, I get done my career, and we, we had a lot of success at Philadelphia Textile, which is now Jefferson University, a couple names mm -hmm. removed. And, you know, I'm working in the real world. I thought, man, I got to make money, you know, which I did. I wanted to make money, and I wanted to have <laughs> yeah. a good time. If you know what I'm saying with the good yeah. time, I wanted to have a good time. I wanted to make some money. And Don't worry, this is, this is PG-13. You can say whatever you need to say. <laughs> but you said PG-13. So my daughter listens to this. That's right. I had a good time. Uh, she's 13, which is a whole nother conversation, by the way. <laughs> and then as I was going along in my 20s, I felt an emptiness. I felt something was truly missing from my life. Because the money started coming. And everything else started coming along with it. And it wasn't fulfilling me. And I realized it wasn't about money. And it wasn't about the other stuff, the materialistic things. It was about impacting. You know, those coaches had, my parents and my brothers and sisters, and my coaches had such an impact on me. And I wasn't paying it forward. I wasn't giving it back. So mm -hmm. I felt that. So my high school coach, the one I just told you about, Dan Doherty, took a sabbatical, goes back to being the high school coach after quite some time. And he asked me to help him. I'm like, look, I can't do it. He's like, you got to help me. This guy forced me to help him. I didn't want to do it. And he's like, just come one day a week. This is a true story. Just come one day a week. Johan, you know what happened. As soon as <laughs> I got there, I was there every day. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. <laughs> I didn't miss a day. I didn't miss a day. He was like, hey, just, you know, take some breaks. Just just come three days a yeah, week now. he's like, uh, I started recruiting. I started recruiting. I was like driving two hours away. We're in Philly. And he's like, what are you doing? Like, where are you going? We can't get these kids. And I was just, I, I was all in. I was two feet in. But that that guy 
saw something in me that I did not see in myself. And I'm so grateful for him. And then, you know, I did it again. I was like, look, my business is, you know, not doing as well. I, I don't think I, and he's like, I'll see you one day a week. And it just happened again. And next, you know, Jay Wright calls me and the rest is history. I mean, what's the, what was the hardest part about like just be, being a coach? Well, the, the time consumption, I guess you could say, or okay. constraints. I think it's time away from your family, away from your loved ones is the hardest thing. As a head coach, if I can use that question like this, the, the hardest thing for me as a head coach was managing my staff. I don't think people understand how important a staff is when you're at Villanova, which is a blue blood, and then you go to a lower level, how important they are, because they're with the, the players all the time. They're impacting the community all the time. And you really got to be able to work together and manage up with the administration. And then when you go to a Big Ten school, which was my dream, and you get there, and I had three staffs, could never land on the right staff until the end. My staff at the end was, was amazing. I love those guys. I talk to them every day. And, and I think managing them, because you're always going to have player you know, concerns or however you want to term that. You're always going to be dealing with parents on some sort of level. You're always going to be dealing with the high school and AA coaches on a level. But I, I didn't, I find that just a part of the business. It was really, you need a, a, a foxhole mentality. You need to know that these guys are in there with you and we're all doing what's right for this program, for these players. Basically, if you say you're going to do something, make sure you do it. Yeah. And, 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 and you need that type of trust, that level of trust. If you don't have that, these guys are transferring. Look how easy it is to transfer. You're transferring, you're leaving, you're going somewhere else. Well, you, you started to get in a little bit into it, but what would you say in terms of like your greatest accomplishment to date professionally? What is that? You know, I had a young man who has bipolar disorder. His name was Mike Watkins. And I, it's okay to share with you that because he wrote an article and it was pretty big news. Big 10 mm -hmm. Network did a big, uh, a big interview on it. I think seeing him graduate, he was there five years and it wasn't a smooth, <laughs> it wasn't a smooth five years by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. There was a lot of uh, ups and downs, uh, a lot of adversity. And we stuck with him and he stuck with us. And to see him get his degree was, I mean, we were all crying and we we're all welled up. It was such a great victory. And, and I know we, we get judged on wins and losses in our career. And fair, that's fair. That's this is the the uh, the life we chose. Yeah. But to see him get a degree was huge for me. And then I would say the second thing is, look, we won eight in a row at Penn State. And you being from Chicago, knowing the Big Ten, you know, landscape, you know, Penn State is about football. It, it, yeah. It's had a struggling basketball program for years. They've had great coaches and great players, but we just could never put it together. And to win eight in a row and some on the road at Mackey and Purdue and uh, Tom Izzo and Michigan State and Nebraska and, and Michigan and winning in all those arenas was just incredible. And, yeah. and for these guys to experience that and to be top 10 in the country at Penn State, it, it was an amazing journey to be on with these players and the staff. And it, was, and it came to an abrupt end because of COVID-19. And, and it's so unfortunate that they um, – because they were thirsty for, for more, and, and they they were never able to to kind of. There's a chapter that's blank for that group of group of young men. And what do you attribute that to? I mean, if you're like, hey, we were we were able to put together a string of wins, and that was unprecedented. What do you attribute that to? The players, the staff, leadership of the players, connectivity in the locker room, a genuine love 
for one another. You know how you, you hear some some teams, you know, players versus coaches, coaches versus players. There was there was zero of that. There was no whisper down the lane. Why is he not playing? We, everybody was totally bought in because they knew we loved them. We had genuine relationships. The fact that they loved each other and we could say it as 18 to 23-year-olds is truly an accomplishment because, you know, we're too cool to say we love each other. Right. <laughs> as guys. We don't say that. And, and definitely not 18 to 23-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And I felt like we finally, everybody wants to talk about culture. Everybody wants to talk about family. And, and I, I'm going to say, yo, it was love. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a part of the culture. It, it, it is. And we, and we talked about culture. And I think culture can be used loosely sometimes. You and I have had this conversation. It can be used a little bit loosely. But it is the part of the foundation and a piece of that, of that culture. But it, it, it was them. They did it within. They did it together. They knew they weren't perfect. They knew they had weaknesses. They knew that they were from different backgrounds and social economic backgrounds, but yet they still overlooked certain things and focused on each other's strengths. To me, that's power. That's that's mm-hmm. extremely powerful. Well, and that's the thing is because my mind goes to like, how do you create that type of, and you know, you and I have talked about in different sessions that we've had, you know, the idea of alignment. Because to me, that's about creating a vision and basically leading so that there is an alignment for that vision. Now, was that intentional for you or was that, you know, it just kind of like came together? But to me, there's a lot of intentionality to actually create that type of team dynamic. You know, I, I want to give Jay Wright credit here. I think the model that he taught me that he passed down is the one that he currently uses and super successful. And now you do add your own little wrinkles and you add in certain things. It's not going to be exactly that because I'm not him and we have different personalities. And so the vision for Penn State was to be the best team that we could be, but it was also fostering and nurturing healthy relationships. I had a mm-hmm. safe space in my office. It was really important to to the staff and I that we would meet with these guys as often as we could, sit down with them in any capacity. And it didn't have to be about basketball. It could have been about life. It could have been about relationships. It could have been about family. It could have been about what do you want to do when the ball stops bouncing? Mm-hmm. What do you like about you know, where you came from, what school you went to, whatever. And I think that's a deeper level of commitment to getting to know somebody. But then you're really opening up and sharing. And I think in that being open like that and showing some vulnerability – I think you you start to really hit it out of the park because these people know now I really trust this dude. I can really trust this guy with my career, with my career. These guys want to be pros and they're looking you in the eye and go, I can trust this dude. He's going to do what's right. He's going to take care of me and he's got my back. And and I felt like when you hit all those, those markers and I I don't like sit there and like strategize it. It's got to be authentic. It's got to just be natural. It's got to be organic. I'd like to think we worked hard at it. And I like to think, because you, look, you're married, I'm married, I have four kids. It's like a marriage. You got to work hard at it. Yeah. You got to have great, you got to have great communication and great consistency in everything you do. And if, right. if there's one area that slips or slides or there's a gap, as you taught me, there's a gap in the relationship. Well, guess what? Something else is going to fill that gap. And it's probably not what I'm preaching. Well, talk to us about, I mean, you know, you, you went from a guy who was invited to one day a week coaching 
to becoming a Big Ten basketball coach. And that is that is no small feat. So what was that road like, you know? You know, sometimes I, I think I was really blessed. I'm a goal-driven person. You and I have written our goals down. I'm all about vision. What's, what's the vision going to be? Where are we going to be in five? Where are we going to be in 10? Where are we going to be in 30? Where are we going to be in 30? And I think I had that vision. I put it up in the universe. I'm a faithful man, uh, which is my foundation for sure. Now I trusted the plan. You know, I get this call from Jay Wright. You know, you're thinking I'm director of ops. I'm a high school coach. Oh, by the way, I was coaching Gerald Henderson, Wayne Ellington. That probably helped a little bit. <laughs> Just uh, a little bit. <laughs> 10 and 14-year pros right now. I think Wayne's still on the way. Yeah, he's on the Lakers money. right now. Yep. Yeah, making money. So, um, you know. But the, but, you, but the Lakers are stinking it up. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah, they're stinking up. They got they to. <laughs> We don't have, that'll be another podcast. That'll that's be right. That's one. another one. It's like, what's going on? What's the problem? Let's fix the Lakers. I'll talk to Wayne. We'll get, we'll get some insight. Yeah. So you get this call and then you're like, wow, I'm, I'm an owner of a business with my three bro- brothers. I can kind of come and go as I please, you know, all that stuff. And like, wow, the chance to work for Jay Wright and Villanova. It was just, it was hard work mm-hmm. plus luck equals opportunity. And guess what? Uh, I took the opportunity and, and, and I stuck with it. I didn't know what I was doing, but I just outworked my lack of experience. You just keep working hard seven days a week. And Kyle Lowry was my first, my first duty. I had to watch over him, make sure he got to class, make sure he was doing everything. <laughs> and we know where he is today, an NBA all-star and a gold medal winner and a champion and a champion with the, the Raptors. So, you know, I had so many experiences, but I, I kept my head down, kept working hard, kept working hard. And in a short five years, I become the head of, head associate coach by just working hard and having a great attitude and buying into my boss and, and, and believing, really believing in it too. I'm all about attitude. That's, that's who I am. And then my fifth year, you, you go to a final four. I'm the head associate of Villanova at the final four. And a quick sidebar, we beat Duke at TD Bank in Boston uh, with Gerald Henderson, who was their best player. And then we end up playing Wayne Ellington in North Carolina in the final four. So it was kind of like full circle, full circle. And then I get the call. I wasn't aggressively <laughs> looking for a head coaching job. I was just newly wow. married new, with, with child. And my wife and I are both from just outside Philadelphia. And it wasn't like we were like, let's get out of here. Let's go become a head coach. I was like, let's just stay here. This is a great space for us. And let's just keep winning. You know, I got the call from BU. Yeah. We'd like to talk to you. And of course, he asked Jay Wright. And, and he like, you have to, whatever. Long story short, two years at BU, we had a lot of success. But my goal, and my wife would tell you, my goal was always to be in the Big Ten. And I always was, always looked at Penn State as the perfect opportunity for me. I had three siblings that went to Penn State. I loved everything about the Big Ten, the academics. I thought it was a very good league as far as doing things the right way. I just saw a golden opportunity there. And in two short years, you know, you, you get the opportunity. They give you a call, you interview, you get another interview, another interview. And then next thing you know, it's June 3rd which is kind of late to get a head coaching job and and you're on on a plane flying to Penn State for so my vision was always my dream was always to be in the Big 10 once I got to Villanova 
and become a head coach in the Big Ten in some capacity, but my eye was always on Penn State because I felt like it was a diamond in the rough. Have you ever been a mentor, a teacher, a manager, a coach? If you spend enough time with people who invest in others, you'll hear them say, I learned way more from my students than they did from me. Now, I don't know how we verify that, but there is a powerful truth in that that I want to highlight. When you help others grow, you end up growing yourself. One of the greatest TV shows of all time is Friday Night Lights. If you're a fan of the show, you'll know what I mean when I say clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. For those who aren't familiar with the show, I'll start off by saying get your life together and start watching it today. It's brilliant. It highlights the ups and downs of a small town football team in Odessa, Texas. The team is led by Coach Taylor, who is the quintessential leader. I mean, he's a high character guy who has a big heart and he'll do anything for his players. It's fascinating to see his ups and downs as a coach. We don't see a know-it-all passing on his endless wisdom. We see a regular man, a regular person like you and me, with a desire to lead. And in that process, he becomes the best version of himself. You see, he isn't just helping his players grow. He's actually growing alongside them. He's changing every step of the way. And that's one of the things that makes his leadership worthwhile. That's, that's one of the things that makes this show so powerful. We see an everyday human being growing, changing, and shifting. Well, how do you feel when you know you got the call to potentially be a part of Penn State? Was it disbelief? Were you like, you know, I don't know if I'm ready for this, or what? What was going on emotionally for you? You know, Johan, and I think you know me well enough. I was I was kind of cocky, to be truthful. You know, mm -hmm. I was a little cocky, a little arrogant. I had just taken Boston University to two championships, two 20 plus win season. They hadn't seen an NCAA tournament in a very, very long time. So I was kind of feeling myself. And, uh, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. the, the the pride, the ego, maybe got in the way, clouded some things. Okay. But I was, I was so fired up to come to my home state and be closer to family, and especially with siblings that went to Penn State to coach in the Big Ten. It was like, it was such an amazing feeling. It, it, it was, it was like, we were so fired up. Like we just won the lottery. Like we were so, so yeah. excited. Yeah. And then reality sets in when, when, yeah. <laughs> when you start to play against Izzo and, 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 Tubby Smith <laughs> and, and, and Bo Ryan in your first few big 10 games, you're like, Whoa, I might be a little bit over my head. What was it? Was that the greatest challenge to be like, man, I'm, a, I'm going up against, you know, some of the greatest coaches of all time, like the level of competition. What, what were the greatest challenges of being now in the big 10 at Penn state? Yeah, it, it, it was a, the coaching, the history of not just the Big Ten, but each school for the most part. Yeah, it, it's just it was incredible. Talk about a classroom. And that's mm -hmm. the way after the first year, after we got just crushed that year. I don't even remember what my record is. And please don't look it up. Um, <laughs> I'm a good. No, it. please don't. Please don't. We don't have time for that. But it was not it was not good. And, uh, and I thought I had it all figured out. I thought I knew what I was doing. You know, it, you might have it all figured out. You might think you know what you're doing. But now you're going up against the, ex, you know, the, the big time, the big boys. And, and, and 
it, it really was eye opening that, man, I, I thought I knew yeah. a lot, but maybe I, I didn't know as much as I, I thought I did. And it was just, um, it was a little, uh, deflating. You know, I was a little worried. I lost my confidence a little bit. Yeah. Well, I wonder what did the adversity teach you about yourself uh, as a coach and just as a person? You know, want to just be a great listener and to keep learning. I learned so much from, from Iz, Izzo and, and, and Ryan and guard now and, and uh, Thad Mata and Holtman and Tom Crean and Matt Painter, who, who became a good friend, like Richard Pitino, Tubby Smith, all these guys. Like I could go on and on and on against the guys like Chris Collins, like Brad Underwood, John Grochi. These guys, I was in a classroom every for six, seven months because you're breaking down the film and watching yourself, but you're watching them. You're preparing for them. And I learned so much from them. And if I was totally blinders on and, and, and stubborn and this is the way we're going to do it and this is how I know, this is how we did it at Villanova, and, and well, guess what? It didn't work. So we, we needed to, to adjust. And if, if you can't understand when you're in facing adversity that maybe the way you're doing it isn't the right way, well, you're going to be out really quickly. I mean, I made it almost 10 mm -hmm. years. That's, a, that's pretty good in a mm -hmm. big 10. So yeah. I think handling the, the adversity by being a lifelong learner, like just saying, just keep getting better and learn from these guys and then recruit us. Let's recruit a certain way or get guys to, to buy into this, this model and, and see what we can do. And so, you know, you went from, Hey, I'm, I'm just figuring this out. You know, you're going through adversity and then finally you're catching your groove. You're starting to win, right? You, like you said, you had that eight win, eight in a row win streak and, you're becoming uh, a high-level coach in the Big Ten. And then you get the news that, you know, you're basically going to lose your job. What what was that like? Talk to us about that whole process, learning the news, and, and even what happened to bring that about. So I'll start with what happened first. I think that's most important here. You know, I made a comment on a one-on-one -on -one with a player. You know what? I swung and missed. I was trying to comfort him. And, and, and truthfully, the context doesn't even matter at this point. You know, I apologize to the player. I apologize to his family. You know, that'll stick with me for the rest of my life. And I've learned so much from that. As a leader, I, 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 I failed miserably there. As all great coaches, and as you've taught me, what are we going to do with this failure? Are we going to go hide? Or are we going to learn from it? Are we going to take a deep dive into black history? And are we going to get back out there? Are we going to start working guys out again? Greatest thing I ever did, other than teaching myself the history, was rebounding. I went and rebounded for some, some of the best players in, in, in the country. Mikel Bridges, Lamar Stevens, the young man who hit the shot in 2016 for Villanova, Chris Jenkins. You go out and rebound. You go back to your foundation. You go back to your roots about who you are. Because of that situation, I'm, a, I'm going to a, be a better head coach the next time around. You're going to be mm -hmm. more mindful. You know, your emotional intelligence is going to take over. And you're going to under, understand how, how to maybe teach and coach and lead much better. So mm -hmm. that situation has made me grow in ways that I never even thought. You know, I was a finalist for the coach of the national coach of the year. Yeah. So did I think I had it all figured out? Maybe. 
maybe. <laughs> but when it came to that situation where I was trying to just help a kid, he was just playing so tight and he was playing. It, but it didn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, it, I missed. So we got to learn from that adversity. We got to learn from that failure and we got to get better from it. So then fast forward a couple of years, because that was two or three years prior, two years prior to really everything going down. And they were ready to make a change. And when it, when it came to it, you know, I was, I was numb at first, you know, you're like, what me? I can't believe, are you serious? We're just top 10 in the country. We were number five mm -hmm. seed in the NCAA tour tournament by uh, Joe Lenardi. Like we were fighting for a Big Ten championship. You know what Big Ten championships Penn State's fought for? Not many. Mm -hmm. Not many. Atlantic Ten, maybe. Big Ten, no. So you're a little numb. You're a little shocked. And then I think you go to bitter. You get bitter. You get angry. You start pointing fingers. You start, you know, you start plotting out your revenge. And, you, you know, that's a cycle in itself. And that's not a one-day thing either. You know, these phases are, are, are quite time-consuming. And that, that affects your, your marriage, that affects your family. I have four young kids, 13 and six. I mean, that, that, you know, was like a tornado in my house, trying to handle all that because the kids are at school still in the community. It's a small college town. So it affected them, you know, and, and how yeah. we went about our business, how we went about our lives right there. So it, it was hard. So I would go through the, those three things. And then once you finally come out of, again, I go back to my faith and my family and my wife the love that they gave to me, it's, okay, you had something to do with this upon reflection. Mm -hmm. And I've given this speech a few times, uh, Kings uh, 17, one, it, the brook ran dry. It was time to move on. Mm -hmm. My wife and I were ready for a change. You know what? He answered that prayer. <laughs> it wasn't how I wanted it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't what we all wanted. But you go through that reflection of, okay, what could you have done better and how could you have handled the situation? And how are you going to handle the situation in the future? So that reflection. And then the next phase, I, I would say, is, all right, that's why you hired Johan. And that's why you, you, you try to fill the gaps in positive ways that this isn't insurmountable. We, this can be accomplished again. Your passion and love is for basketball and impacting young lives. And we got to get back to doing that. So then you start planning. Yeah. So the last phase is that action plan of coming out of those dark times. And, and that took a long time. And, and look, it's going to stay with me for the rest of my life. It's, ne it's not over. There's not a, a day that goes by that I don't think about it at, at some point in the day of what it could have been. Because mm -hmm. I, I hate to go back right now, but some of my players right now, the team I could have had, you're like, wow. Well, I think that's, you know, I, I want to go back a little bit because, you know, you, you once the once this position is no longer your position, it's it sounds like you went through a little bit of a process, right? Where at least when we met, you were wrestling with, do I want to be a coach again? Yep. Right. Yep. And I mean, part of you know even the the circumstances in which we met was like, hey, maybe I want to be an executive coach. Yep. Like I don't I don't know what I want to do. So there was a little bit of uncertainty. You know, there was a little bit of doubt. Obviously, there's the frustration, the bitterness. There was all these very real human emotions that you were experiencing based on feeling like something that you have worked really hard for was taken from you. And, and you know, you and I have talked about it's it's it was a product of like cancel culture, 
like one phrase, one moment, then defining who you are as opposed to saying, hey, yeah, that moment was real. What's the road to reconciliation? What's the what's the road to forgiveness? What's the road to actually, you know, getting back the thing that I worked so hard for? And I think that's part of the travesty of our current cultural framework is it's like one moment can then rip away everything that you've ever done instead of saying, hey, yeah, that was a moment and here's the pathway back, right? So talk to us a little bit about how you were, you know, wrestling with, man, maybe I don't, like, maybe I'm not going to be a coach again. Maybe I don't want to do that. And then how you actually landed on, yeah, you know what? This is what I love. This is what I'm going to give my life to again. You know what? I think, and I'm not saying this because we're on this podcast, I thought you ripped it out of me. And, and I, I'm going to say it was fear. Hmm. Fear of being judged. How are people looking at me? Fear of what they're going to say. How they're going to treat me, my family. Knowing my body of work over 20 years and what I've done, even throughout my whole life, being on teams of diversity, it was never really anything to be concerned with. However, that fear was mm -hmm. real and you're masking it by doing all these other things about thinking, oh, I should do this. Hey, I'll do that. Oh, I'm excited about this, this career, this occupation. Okay. When we talked about you, you were saying, what, what could be your vision? You know, what, what's going to motivate you? Uh, how, where do you see yourself in six months? Where do you see yourself in three months? And and what's the worst, the one thing you said, what, what's the worst, what outweighs the fear? What, like mm -hmm. becoming a coach again or not become a, a coach again? Is that going to outweigh and how is it going to outweigh it? And if you end up becoming a coach again and something comes up and it, what, is it worth it? Yeah. Is it worth it in the end? And, and I think you and I both agreed it was worth it. But I couldn't get to that point right away. My conversation with Pat reminded me of our episode on cancel culture. It reminded me that we want to punish people more than we want to see them change. Have you ever noticed that? We want to cancel people more than we want to restore them. We want the Judas in our story to hang himself. Heck, we want to hang them ourselves, right? We want people to get what they deserve. We want revenge. Most of us are familiar with the story of Judas. He's the guy who sold Jesus to the Romans for some silver. Judas's betrayal led to Jesus being captured, tortured, and placed on a cross. He is one of the most infamous traitors of all time. Nobody wants to be a Judas. But could you imagine if Judas had a change of heart? What if he returned the silver, then rushed to the foot of the cross and begged, pleaded for Jesus to forgive him? What do you think Jesus would say? How would he respond? How would you respond? I mean, you'd probably go Liam Neeson on him, right? That's exactly what I would be tempted to do. I mean, Jesus is literally dying an excruciating death, and the man who played a significant role in putting him there was now saying, my bad. I mean, does someone like that deserve forgiveness? 
our current world says he deserves to trade places with Jesus. He deserves to be canceled for good. Even if Jesus chose to forgive him, what would the other disciples do, right? What would his team do? What would the people around him do? Because I feel like they definitely want to cancel him. They'd cut him off. They'd ignore him. They'd make sure his life was ruined, wouldn't they? Wouldn't you? But imagine something for a second. Imagine the person you love the most was being canceled. Imagine you are the one being canceled. Imagine it was for something that you deeply regret, something that you own up to, something that you've changed. Would you want a second chance? I know I would. Now imagine a world where everyone has done something cancel-worthy. Now let's be real. That doesn't take much of an imagination. That is our world. That's me and you. We all have moments in our life that, if put under a microscope, would be damning. We've all said and done something that we're ashamed of. We've all said and done something offensive or hurtful. We've all felt the shame of poor choices. We've all been Judas at some point in our lives. Now imagine where we would be without forgiveness and redemption. What would life be like if our worst moments were our defining moments? What type of world would this be if we couldn't mess up and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me? That is not the world I want to live in. And that's not the future we're creating. Because my friends, you and I, we're, we're creating a future from love. Hearing you talk about the game and even like coaching, and then hearing you say in the same conversation, yeah, maybe I'm going to be in, in real estate. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like I, I, could, I could tell that you were, you know, conning yourself and that you'd settled for something smaller. And I think the question that I asked you, I think it was via text, right? It's like, if failure wasn't an option, what would you choose? That's exactly right. Right? And then... And I think that was the moment. Yeah, you you also basically said, if you go for it, will will it be worth it? Mm -hmm. Rather than not going for it and not knowing, and how can you right. and how can you live with that the rest of your life? I'm I'm young. Don't let the gray beard fool you. <laughs> <laughs> they, nobody sees you though. This is going to be voice, so you know. <laughs> You got just, a full getting, brown beard. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> I want all your fans out there to just get a visual. Just get a visual. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like Santa Claus when Santa Claus was uh, 50. <laughs> no, you, you were dead on. And I think that text and then that conversation kind of just pushed me. I needed a push. Yeah. And, 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 and that's what we did. Yeah, because I remember, you know, uh, we've talked about, and you're familiar th with this because you've seen players go through this, when a player gets injured and it's a significant injury, they come back and they're skittish. You know what I mean? Like they they don't move the same. They don't play the same. They're, they're now worried about getting hurt again. They're worried about getting injured again. And that's how they play. That's how they show up. And then what does that do? It prevents them from performing at the highest level possible, right? And, and you and I talked about some of that going on in you internally where it's like, hey, I just got hurt. And then that was shaping how you were showing up for the game now, right? And to shift from that way of playing the game to like, no, you know what? 
hey, I've, I've done some of the recovery process and now I'm ready to, to get in the game again. So um, for you, when you decided to like, all right, because I remember that when you're like, I know what I want to do. I'm basically, I'm going to pursue coaching again. What, what has that process been like for you to be like, all right, I'm going to do it. I don't quite know what the path is. I don't know where to start, but I know I'm, I'm just going to start somewhere. Talk, talk a little bit about what that process was like for you. Johan, the analogy was spot on too. I had a young man named Tim Frazier who blew out his Achilles. And I remember his senior year, he was a first team all Big Ten player. He's a 10-year NBA pro. He just did a 10-day with the Magic. And I remember him coming back his senior year. He just wasn't the same. Just wasn't the same. So that really resonated with me when you use that uh, analogy. And I was like, he's right. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I have to mentally get there in order to, to get going again, to get back to doing what, what I'm passionate about and, and what I love. And, and that process was, you know, I, got a, I had a few opportunities that were volunteer opportunities. And, you know, the one that really stuck with me was working at LaSalle and, and Coach Ashley Howard. And, you know, I had to figure out that process, you know, and, uh, and, and it was hard for me. So I had to come from, and, and I just, Big Ten, te- you know, National Coach of the Year almost, top 10 team in the country. I had to go back to a real space of humility and I had to serve and I had to start over. And, and sometimes that's very difficult for people who have had found success. And you, you gave me that perspective beautifully because you're like, hey, this is a prideful thing right now. Hey, this is entitlement right now. Like, you, you got to live in a space of, of humility. You know, we say humble and hungry all the time. You got to be humble and hungry. And I had to get back to that. I had to get, get humble again. And when I was in that space, I, I was able to become a better server for, for LaSalle and, and Ashley Howard and helping him. So I was a volunteer at first, helping him. You and I put markers in in place, some goals in place. Hey, we'd like to become an assistant by this point. Or we'd like to get a paying job at this point. (laughs) Right, 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 right. (laughs) We'd like to get some benefits at this point. They were just great little markers to to keep my focus on where I'm not getting too ahead of myself. And then I'm not thinking about the past anymore. I'm not living in that space anymore. And anybody wants to talk about the past, I don't have time for that. I, I, I've moved on. I've moved on. So those markers really helped me. So the volunteer was the first thing. Hey, let's just get, let's just get back in the ball game. Let's get in the, get in the arena. So we got in the arena. We got back to some practices. It was part time. You and I talked. We said, Hey, what do we want to do in ninety days here? I said, Man, I'd love to get a paying job. I know that's like asking for a miracle because usually universities and colleges don't you're not getting an assistant job once you <laughs> start you start and then next thing you know december 2nd or 3rd i think it was johan and I, I know you and i talked right around that time too I, I i was like i couldn't wait to tell you i was like hey <laughs> i just got promoted to assistant <laughs> coach and they're gonna pay me a little bit of money and they're gonna give me some benefits i'm like this is crazy you know a year ago i was done I was dead in the water six months ago. I was thinking about going into real estate and, and executive coaching three months ago. I was like, all right, maybe I'll give it a try, but I'm still fearful. I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm still scared. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to fail again. I don't want to say the wrong thing again. 
You know, I got to, you know, just not being myself. And then fast forward to early December. And I'm so appreciative and grateful to Coach Howard and the mm-hmm. AD at LaSalle, Brian Baptiste, for, for believing in me and saying, hey, we, we need your help. I've told you this uh, in one of our sessions and, you know, I want to tell the world it's been beautiful to see you lean in again, right? It's like I celebrate and I acknowledge really the courage that you've had to to be humble and to choose to show up again because it's, and so many people do it, right? Stay in resentment, stay in bitterness, stay in the entitlement, and then, you know, never move forward from that. As we talk about gaps, you chose to notice, well, at least, you know, allow me to pinpoint some ways that you were showing up in the gap, right? Some of that doubt, some of that fear, some of that entitlement, some of the arrogance, you know, some of the shame that was coming up and then say, hey, do you want to relate to the gap this way, right? Instead of staying there, shifting it. So there's just like, okay, humility. What does it look like to relate to the gap from passion and joy and hope, right? And resilience and perseverance and faith. And like gratitude. All the things that, yeah, and gratitude, right? Like all these things that actually give you power as you show up to get what you want, as you show up to to make the dream possible again. And that's why I think, you know, it was it's it was so beautiful to to see you say in one breath, man, this is gonna be really hard. It's almost damn near impossible. And then we get on a call and you're like, holy shit, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I think that's that like that's the beauty to to rise up from the ashes. And to show up for the life that you want, to show up for the things that you want and know that nothing can hold you back. Like you have that power inside of you. So, you know, I'm excited about where you're at and I'm excited about still what you're going to create, you know, what's ahead of you. And in terms of what's ahead of you, what do you think are going to be some of the biggest obstacles that are ahead as you now go from like, okay, I got the assistant coach position. Now I'm, I'm gearing towards becoming a head coach again. I, I think there's going to be opportunities for me you know, the, 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 uh, the gaps on the negative side want to say, I don't know who's going to take a chance on you. Somebody's going to have to be really courageous to take, take you back as a head coach. You know, what is the cancel culture going to say? You know, but the, the, this guy that that's on this podcast is saying, I'm going to live in space of humility. And the one term I've been just living on it or two terms, I would say is you're built for this. And the best is yet to come. Two things that you gave me that I hang on. Uh, anytime those those uh, negative thoughts get in my head, those those bad gaps, you know, appear. That space. And as long as I stay with, hey, the best is yet to come. Stay in humility. Uh, entitlements over here. Pride's over here. Keep rebounding. Keep serving. Keep showing up. Keep a great attitude. Keep hoping. You know, we got to mm-hmm. have hope, man. It's just like our country. We all need hope. We start to lose hope. We're in big trouble. So yep. my, my hope is strong and, and my humility is strong right now. And being grateful for this opportunity that LaSalle has given me. So if I can stay one day at a time and believe in that and, and, and stay in that space, then, then I'm going to have a, a shot at a job here. Is it going to be the spring? Mm-hmm. My goal is the spring. You know, Let's put a deadline yeah. on it, right? Johan, we got to put a deadline on it. That's what we do. We got to put a deadline on it. <laughs> we cannot not have a deadline because then it would just be a wish, right? Mm-hmm. Just be a wish. So I'm really hopeful for the spring that that I'll be leading a program again. And, and if I'm not, yeah. if I'm not, guess what? 
it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's, it's his time, not my time. And that, that's going to be the piece that I, I have to really be careful of because I wanted mm-hmm. the paying job. If you recall, I think I was like, you know, uh, September, or October, I think it was September, early October. I knew that was the yeah. spot if I was going to get anything. Paying, that is paying. I had a yeah, couple of paying, right, right. paying. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't want your listeners to be like, well, Your wife is like, listen, your wife's like, listen, you need to bring in some money, man. <laughs> She's like, we need, we need some benefit. Let's go. <laughs> so I, I think it's not my time. It's his time because who gets hired early December in mm-hmm. college? I just have to keep reminding myself of that like hey it might not be my time it's going to be his time it might not be march 15th it might not be april 15th you know i got the penn state job in the first week of june mm-hmm. that was already back then you already missed two recruiting periods so yeah just just stay stay in faith and trust this trust this this plan that he has for me but the the goal is to to be leading the program soon. So the, the you know the the show is called From the Future with Love. So I, I always want to ask a future based question. It's usually like a, a future version of ourselves writing a letter or speaking to us, interacting with us right now. So I want you to imagine right your your future self ten years from now. You're a head coach again. What advice would that version of you give to you right now? I, I think the most important thing for the sixty one something 61 year old to to (laughs) say to this guy right here is just to slow down, make sure you find incredible balance and and balance is faith and family understanding what's really important. And, And you can't rush the process. And then I would say the last thing is enjoy, enjoy this journey, enjoy building a program Enjoy the games, enjoy the practices, enjoy the film sessions. I, I miss, I, I missed that, and I didn't, I didn't realize how much I missed it uh, of trying to put it all together, because losses became mentally and physically grueling. I mm. mean, they, they, they took their toll on me, and, and which is, and then I'm not good for anybody, right? And then winning became a relief. It it became a sigh. I didn't even enjoy the one game that I'll I'll give you an example of, if I can share a quick story. We're playing Iowa at the Palestra. It's sold out. It's a, it's a, Johan, it's a place when you come to Philadelphia, you must go to a game at the Palestra. It's one of the, they say college basketballs. And I, I promise you, I will take you there. It's college basketball's yeah. most historical gymnasium. It's where University of Penn plays. Sold out, old school gym, seats about 82 to 8,500. It's 150 degrees in early January in the gym. It's so hot you can't breathe. Wow. It's old school basketball, the way it's meant to be played. Mm-hmm. No air conditioning, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> mm-hmm. On the other side, Fran McCaffrey, a Penn alum. I'm from Philly. I got Philly kids on the team. It was just an amazing day. And if you ever have time, please go on it. Watch the game. It was Ali Frazier, 15 rounds. It was strategy. My best player, foul trouble. All all this stuff, right? And then you got all this stuff on the outside. All the distractions of the outside. And 
and you win. And I can't, I can't even remember the game, like the aftermath. I can't even remember, like I didn't, I didn't even enjoy it. Hmm. Like I got in the car, I think my wife and kids were there or I, no, I think I got on the bus. We were going to Rutgers. We got on the bus and went to Rutgers and it was like, I was, I didn't even, and it's going to go down as one of the greatest games to ever be played in the palestra and it's hmm. history, early 19, whatever it is, 20s, maybe it's early 30s. Hmm. It, it, hmm. And, and I missed it. So hmm. what, what I'm telling my, myself is enjoy Enjoy it. Win, lose, or yeah. draw. Try to enjoy the part of, of building a team, putting it together, and making it the best team it can be by the end of the year. And when you do that, you'll find joy. You'll find success. You get so caught up in the numbers, in the wins, in the losses. Again, it's hard not to. That's how we get judged. But if somehow, some way that I can flip the script and go, if I see improvement, if I see I'm developing men, is that going to be good enough? Can that be good yeah. enough? Uh, no, by the yeah. way, I'm going to be at a power five school by then. So I just want to let you know. There you go. Come on now. <laughs> boom. <laughs> you told me the best is yet to come. That's right. That's right. Let's go. Come on. Let the world know. I think many of us have fallen into that trap, right? Where it becomes more about the outcome than the pursuit and the process and the moment and being present and just loving to play for the sake of playing. You know, I mean, because I think of uh, when I was younger, I would just pick up the ball and every opportunity that I had, I would just go play. Not because I was trying to prove something, not because I had to beat everybody that I was playing against. I just love to play the game. And I think that's a, a, a mindful state to consistently remind ourselves of, to be like, why do I play? Because I, I get to play, <laughs> right? I don't have to prove anything. I'm not trying to shove something down somebody's throat. You know, I don't, right? It's just, I get to play. So it's beautiful to hear you say, your future self is giving you that message. It's like, keep playing for the sake of playing. And there will be wins and there will be times where you lose, but even the losses are lessons, right? and keep the joy alive for the sake of the game and, and the fact that you just get to be a player in the game. This is Anessa West from the year 2057. This transmission is coming from a world where we have replaced cancel culture with counsel. You see, we don't give up on and discard people here. We invest in and we build up our people, no matter their past. This is an inspiring place, an inspiring world where grace, forgiveness, and reconciliation reign supreme. And this future, this future needs you. There's an uprising here, and it is a threat to council culture. A band of believers in the old way, the tribe of cancel culture, are attempting to bring revenge and eye for an eye back to the forefront of political discourse. We need your actions today to reflect the future we seek to preserve. When you forgive, counsel, reconcile, and restore the wrongdoer, you give strength to the counsel culture of the future. My friends, please invest in the world I'm contacting you from. We need you. This transmission is from the future with love.
Thank you for listening to this episode of From the Future with Love. We are thankful to all of you for supporting the show during the year that changed us forever. Thank you for being a part of our community and for sharing our content on social media. Leave us a review and let us know what you think of this episode. See you next time on From the Future with Love. From the Future with Love was written and performed by yours truly, Johan Martinez-Kalilian, produced by Rithu Jagannath and Matthew Jones, executive produced by Jason Jaggard, fact-checked by Rithu Jagannath, editing, mix and tech production by Hammond Chamberlain, photography by Jess Kaler, and graphic design by Ivan Lizarde. Thanks again, my friends. Until next time.